But one of the things that we need to realize is that we need to realize that more than ever before, people are watching. People are watching us as people of faith. They're watching us to be able to see, do our words, do our words have actions behind them? If we say we love God, do we live our lives in a way that we love God? If we say we love God and we love others, does our life say that we love others? Just giving lip service to it on Sunday and living our lives differently Monday through Friday or giving lip service on Sunday, living our lives kind of sort of like it during the week, but on uh, Fridays and Saturdays uh, when it comes time to get out on the athletic field or, or, or uh, do other stuff or be involved in other things within the community or social life, we're a completely different person. And that's what and why uh, uh, a theologian uh, back in the uh, 80s uh, said his name was Brendan Manning. And Brendan Manning said something that became very popular in the mid-90s through uh, this uh, band called DC Talk, if you all remember that band, that Christian band from back then. But Brendan Manning, the theologian, said is that uh, the greatest single cause in atheism today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips but go out in the world and deny him by their lifestyle. That's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Powerful words. Powerful even more when words and actions don't line up because it shows the true nature of a heart. If you're wondering why we as Christians are called hypocrites so much by people in the world, it's because of that very thing, because our words and our actions don't line up. Well, today we're going to look at something that you probably haven't looked at in a while. We're going to be in the Old Testament in the book of Amos. Have you ever opened up the book of Amos before? It's right next to the book of Hezekiah, so make sure you look in your Bible for that. That's a little, sorry, that's a little joke there. There is no book called Hezekiah. Um, uh, It's in the Minor Prophets. Uh, If you find Psalms, just keep going to your right. Uh, it's a book, um, uh, it's a smaller book, um, but we'll be in Amos 5 today, Amos chapter 5. Our primary text that we're going to look at is Amos 5, verses 21 through 24. But when a person says one thing and acts someone else and acts another way, it just doesn't add up. And we as humans can't stand inconsistently inconsistency like this because we're seeing a problem with a person's message and what they're trying to convey. We want our actions and our words to be able to support one another or else we are all so very wired to be able to say, well, that person's a hypocrite. They're just saying one thing and doing uh, another. We can't uh, give them any kind of credibility. But the same is true with our Lord and how we act toward him. He wants our actions and our words to be able to support one another. We see the result and inconsistency of actions and words come to a head here in Amos 5, verses 21 through 24, within the context of worship. And in this passage, we see what happens when worship doesn't add up. And that's the title of uh, today's Bible study that we're going to look at, is what happens when worship doesn't add up. 
doesn't add up. So let's pray, and then we'll get into this. Father, I thank you for the men that are here today. I thank you that they are willing to be able to uh, take time out uh, of their uh, busy day, especially here early in the morning, to be able to start it in your word, to be able to see what your word has to say uh, for us and how to be able to live our lives in a way that pleases you. Father, this is a difficult subject because this is one of those subjects that uh, the Holy Spirit does heart surgery uh, in a lot of us. Uh, the Bible says, uh, Father, that uh, you know your word is sharper than two, any uh, two-edged sword. Uh, and Father, uh, we know in, in, a, in a passage like this, it can really cut deep uh, into our hearts. But Father, I pray as the Holy Spirit works in each of our hearts, I pray that you will also uh, encourage us to be able to see ways uh, that we can begin to, to pray and seek um, help from you and, and even help from others on how to be able to more consistently line up our words and our actions so that we can be uh, a, a true witness of Christ out in the world, but also so that we can be more holy. For that is what you have called us to be uh, holy. You've called us to be uh, a light to the world. You've called us to be salt and light. And Father... Um, uh, we need to trust you uh, for your help and holiness and forgiveness uh, and grace and mercy as we uh, seek to do that calling. Um, speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, for those who don't know a whole lot about uh, the book of Amos and the Minor Prophets or some of these things, I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson uh, before we get into to, uh, some of this. Uh, one of the things that... Um, it's important to understand uh, when you're looking at the prophets and looking at some of these things in the Old Testament is understand what was going on um, within the ancient world at this time and even within the history of Israel at this time. Now, what's happened is um, the, the kingdom of Israel at this time has been split into the northern and the southern kingdom. And the way that all of that came about went all the way back to Jacob. Okay, Jacob back in uh, Genesis, because this diversity uh, that happened within uh, the king, within things that were going on after David, when Solomon became uh, king, and then all the weird things that were going on, and then the two kingdoms split into uh, the kingdom of Israel that contained 10 of the tribes um, uh, of Israel, and then Judah, which contained two uh, of the tribes of Israel, um, uh, Judah and Benjamin. Um, this was a big schism uh, and thing in the ancient world. And this disunity among the people of Israel went all the way back to their patriarch Jacob, who even himself presided over a house that was divided. If you remember, the sons of Leah and the sons of Rachel, Jacob's wives, uh, had a contention within Jacob's lifetime that you can see in Genesis chapter 37. Uh, about how all of this kind of fit into the promise that God gave Abraham that was carried down through Isaac and then it was carried down uh, uh, through Jacob. And if you remember, Jacob had his name changed after an encounter with God. In Genesis, you remember that, that he was struggling, he saw a vision, and then he also came to struggle with, with an angel of the Lord, actually wrestled with this angel of the Lord. After they wrestled all night, the book of Genesis says that the angel, before he went, touched Jacob on his hip. And Jacob had a limp that showed that he had had a struggle 
with God, and that was a sign. But he also, they changed, the Lord changed his name from Jacob to Israel, okay? And one of the things that's very, very interesting about the name of Israel is that it comes from three Hebrew words, okay? The three Hebrew words that come and make up the name of Israel are ish. If you've heard of the, of the word ish, you've probably heard pastor talk about this before. That's the Hebrew word for man. In a more of a general type of, uh, of standpoint, it can also mean mankind. It can mean men. Women is isha in Hebrew. And so in Genesis, when God created man and woman, he created ish and isha. And so that's how those terms were introduced in the scripture. But also, there is another word that Israel is, is, uh, has a root in, and it is a word, the Hebrew word, serah. And serah means uh, to struggle or to wrestle, okay? To have a contentiousness um, uh, about it. And then the final word that makes up the name Israel is the word for God, um, uh, speaking specifically about God's majesty and God's wonder, that's called Elohim, and you've probably heard of that before. Uh, Elohim is one of the words for God in the Bible to be able to describe him and his greatness, his majesty, his, uh, his beauty. Elohim is different uh, from Yahweh that you've heard. That is the actual name of God that uh, the Lord told Moses at the burning bush. Uh, and that's the, uh, the name of the Lord that uh, the Israelites uh, considered the most holy name, and they would not read uh, that name of the Lord when they were reading uh, uh, the scrolls and stuff uh, during that time. They would substitute it with another name for God that was Adonai, uh, or they would say uh, Elohim uh, would be another one, but they would not pronounce and say the word Yahweh. And so when you take Israel and look at it, it literally means, from those three Hebrew words, people who struggle with God. People who struggle with God. And so even from the very instance of the beginning of the people of Israel, the Lord knew, as, as we all know, <laughs> he knows everything. For those of you sci-fi people, that means that he's beyond dimensions. I mean, he's, you know, outside the fourth dimension, you know, interstellar people. Those of you who are blown away by the movie Interstellar and all that. Yeah, I see some people smiling. Yeah, yeah, sci-fi buffs. There we go. Um, he, named, he named people, uh, the people of Israel, for what they were because he knew that they would struggle with him. And remember, all of this is a way of setting up what eventually came in Jesus. So the enmity between these half uh, brothers and, and things that were going on within the life of Israel and Jacob and, and the 12 tribes that were the 12 sons of Jacob continued into the time of the judges, which pastor is going through right now about all these people who were unqualified but that God made qualified to be able to serve him. And so what happened was Benjamin, one of the tribes, from Rachel's side of Jacob's family, took up arms against the other side. This you can find in, in, uh, in Judges 20. And um, as this war and things went on, ev uh, after a while, David, as king, was able to unite all of them uh, under a single uh, throne because even with Saul, things were really, really kind of crazy when Saul was uh, the first king of Israel. So now comes along David and his sin and Absalom. 
David and his sin and Absalom that we begin to see in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel continues this enmity and this struggle and this division within the nation. And what happened was is that David's son Absalom came against his, his father David, promoted himself to be king, drew many Israelites away. And then what happened is he set up his throne, a revolt happened, more war was happening, and then everything came down to Solomon. Well, as we know with Solomon, uh, he was pretty crazy. He was wise, but at the same time, as we know from Ecclesiastes and from Lamentations and other things, this guy was crazy. He was wise, but he was crazy at the same time for the kind of just uh, vulgar hedonism <laughs> that he was involved in as well uh, as being wise. And that's why he can say that everything uh, means nothing except for to be able to know God. Um, and that's why his Lamentations, Song of Solomon, all this other stuff is very interesting because he experienced everything against God, but eventually uh, would write and say that God is the only thing that you can trust in. So as all of these things were going on, more schisms happened, and then Solomon's sons began to war against each other with Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and then all of a sudden this war came to a head, Solomon died, and then basically... The kingdom of Israel split, and this happened around 930 B.C. So Israel, uh, as it writes, has been in rebellion to this very day, and that was written in 1 Kings 12. Uh, when the time of 1 Kings was written, um, these struggles and things that were going on, and the writer of 1 Kings was trying to be able to help the first readers understand is that, look, this struggle that we have been having as a nation against the Lord is not anything new. Well, what was the struggle that they were having? The struggle was not just political discourse or political issues within their nation. And that sounds familiar, doesn't it, with what we were talking about today? But first and foremost, what their problem was that caused their division, that caused these things to creep into their nation and divide them as God's people and as serving God, is they allowed idols to enter their life as God's people. They allowed the fertility cult of Baal, or Baal is another way that you can say it, to be able to come in and enter into their life. Baal, or Baal, in the worship of that, was very, very popular. Well, why do you say that, Will? Well, it was a fertility cult. So guess what happens when you worship in a fertility cult. There's temple prostitutes. Yay! You see how popular that could be among the people? Temple prostitutes. So let's all go worship at the temple today with the temple prostitutes. It was really popular. You know that kind of sound familiar? The hedonism, the total disregard for the Lord as the people of Israel in their time, in, the, in their country. God allowed and continued to allow judgment to be able to come upon them to where around this time here of when Amos came on the scene around 790 uh, to about 740 B.C., uh, which is almost 200 years or so after the kingdom split, God has called up these prophets to be able to say, Enough is enough, Israel. Basically, turn or burn. Turn 
or burn, meaning that if you don't turn, I'm going to judge you. And the judgment is going to be a wave. And this is what Amos talks about uh, in Amos chapter 5. It is going to be a wave of righteousness and of justice. Why? Well, you have to go back to the character of God. And this is something that's difficult to be able to preach uh, nowadays because uh, so many people are struggling with God doesn't love or God doesn't accept me for who I am. They struggle with their self-worth and things, and things like that. And that's very important for us to be able to understand that God is willing to forgive us, have mercy on us, have grace on us for the things that, w- that we have done and that God loves us when we think that we are unlovable and anybody else can love ourselves. But we also have to preach the other side. And remember the other side as well is that God is good, God is just, and God is righteous, and God is holy. And what that means is God cannot allow sin to go unpunished. And that sin going unpunished happens a couple ways. Is that there's an ultimate punishment, but there's also, uh, in the hereafter, there's also uh, punishment and consequences uh, in the uh, now and present. Jesus came so that we can have freedom from that ultimate punishment. Praise God for that, to be able to show us and, and, and pay for that punishment that we deserve by dying on the cross and raising you on the third day. But God will also judge us, as we know, from uh, eschatology and the study of last things in the Bible, us as Christians, for the things that we have done, either for him or against him. So our works will be refined by fire in the things that we've done, as, as it says in the book of Romans and in other places. But in this idea and time, it also came with a present consequence. And that's what Amos is bringing to the people at this time. Because you are so evil, God's judgment is coming if you do not turn. So Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, begins to address this very issue of what's going on within the life of Israel. That's a little background there to help you understand that here is this fertility cult that's come within the nation of Israel. And they even put up these things called Asherah poles throughout all of um, uh, 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 the nation to be able to worship and do things at. And Asherah poles uh, were uh, would be considered something that is basically... Uh, kind of uh, rated R uh, today. Uh, What an Asherah pole was, was a big uh, statue or idol of a phallic symbol. Um, I'm using, you know, big words here. If you don't know what phallic or or a phallus is, uh, look that up uh, on your, (laughs) on your, uh, on your uh, phone. But, um, and so when you think of fertility cults, when you think of these kind of things, these are the kind of idols and the kind of idol worships and things that they have. And, and there would be several kings, you know, like Hezekiah or Uzziah or others that would happen over Israel's history that would tear down these Asherah poles and that would tear down and get rid of some of these things to try to get it out of Israel's life. But it would creep its way back in because the people's heart weren't after the Lord. They were after the things of the world. But they continued to practice the Levitical worship that was happening that God set up in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament with how you were to practice, do the sacrifices, do the offerings. So they were going and worshiping with the temple prostitutes, but at the same time they were coming and bringing their offerings and things to the Lord in his temple to be able to satisfy their 
culture. Sound familiar? The Word of God is a two-edged sword. So, the Word of the Lord comes to Amos, and he speaks to the nation of Israel in verse 21 of Amos chapter 5. Amos is speaking on behalf of the Lord, and here's what Amos tells the people that the Lord says. I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. How many times have you heard that preached on a Sunday morning? It gives you all nice warm and fuzzies, doesn't it? That's a struggle that our pastor has is balancing these things. That's why we need to pray for him a lot because it's a struggle sometimes to be able to help people know that God loves them, but at the same time, he's going to judge sin if we do not make sure that our lives are sold out to Christ and that we are allowing our lives to be lived as a thank you to him because of what Jesus has done for us. So what does this passage say here about when worship doesn't add up. Well, first of all, we see when worship doesn't add up, we see that sin is unconfessed. Sin is unconfessed. And what happens here is that God could not accept Israel's worship. If you remember, one of the the aspects of Israel's worship in this time is that they had certain offerings that they would do. They would have a grain offering. They would have a drink offering. It's all really interesting uh, stuff if you want to go back and read in the book of uh, Leviticus and others of what it meant to be able to follow the law and to be able to worship the Lord uh, in the tabernacle and then uh, later in the temple. Um, and there were these things that the people did that eventually became their tradition. It became lip service. It was just a thing that they were just supposed to do. The Lord had set it up to be able to help the people know the meaning behind it and why they needed to be able to look to the Lord and realize that the Lord is the one who provides for them, who takes care of them, and then we in turn need to be able to recognize that, ask for his forgiveness and mercy on our lives. You know, you've heard of things like Yom Kippur that happen in October. Uh, that's the, the, the most holy day of the year in the Jewish calendar. That's the Day of Atonement when they would... F- uh, in, uh, in the Old Testament times, they would, they would uh, sacrifice uh, uh, the lamb in, on the altar uh, you know, and pour its blood and sprinkle it over the Ark of the Covenant to be able to show the covering of the blood on the people so that when God looked down on his people and saw the law that he gave Moses, what was between the law and the judgment of the people in the Ark of the Covenant, it was the sprinkled blood of the spotless, perfect lamb on the Ark of the Covenant. It's pretty amazing when you think about that, is even in that day and time, the Lord was pointing to Jesus. Because you remember what the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. But what happened was is that the people had lost all this meaning during this time. They didn't understand these things. They would go worship in the, in the temple prostitutes, 
live it up, have a great time, because, hey, hey, we're worshiping. This is what we do. This is our culture. Sound familiar? Then they would go and they would do their thing before God in their temple or tabernacle worship. And so what's happening here is the Lord is helping them see that Israel's unconfessed sin, and specifically you can see some more about this in Amos chapter 2, verse, uh, chapter two through chapter 4. Amos, uh, the Lord gives Amos basically a list of all of Israel's sins. And as it's coming up here on Amos chapter 5, this is kind of like the culmination. After the case has been brought, here is the final word in the, in the judgment in this time. I don't know about you, but the only thing that I want after mowing my lawn on the weekend is a cold bottle of water. I don't know if there's any crazies uh, around here like me, but uh, I like to sleep in on Saturday morning because in my family, hot weather builds character, not getting up early in the morning, okay? Getting up early in the morning does not build character, but getting out in the 100-degree heat and doing lawn work, that is a character builder, okay? So we know how to keep, you know, heat exhaustion and stuff like that out of the family, and I'm too hot and all the things like that. That's no excuse uh, in my family. But at 6 o'clock in the morning, I'm still sleepy. That's, a, that's not an excuse. That's a right, okay, uh, in my family. But, all, yeah, there you go. All I want is a cold, cold bottle of water when I've been out there in that 100-degree heat pulling weeds out of the flower beds or doing things in the yard. But this hasn't happened to me, but I can only imagine what I might do if Janelle or my boys brought to me after working out in, in the, the water, I mean uh, working out in the lawn, if they brought me a bottle of water and I saw a mosquito hawk floating around in my water. Yeah. Or I saw little floaties of rabbit poo that happens in my yard, and they just decided to put you know, just one little, little floaty of a rabbit poo in my water and give it to me when I was thirsty and wanting something to drink. Or better yet, maybe they went to somebody in my neighborhood that's got a terminal communicable disease and just took just a little drop of blood from them and just put it in my water. I said, hey, this is your water. Uh, we actually got this from so-and-so who's got the, you know, communicable, uh, you know, terminal disease over here, but it's still cold. It only has just one drop of their blood here in this water, but it'll still be cold. You can still, you know, drink it. It'll be great for you. That's really kind of what it's like when we allow unconfessed sin to be able to be able to inhabit our worship. We think what we're doing is that we are giving God his worth, that we are proclaiming to him his majesty by coming to church on Sunday, coming, you know, if you're really, really, you know, saved and whatever you come on Wednesday night at midweek worship, uh, you know, and hang out with Bo um, or, or things like that. Uh, or if you're even really, really more like saintly, uh, in your relationship with God, you show up at men's Bible study at 6, six o'clock you know, on Tuesday mornings with a pastor. And you do that, 
and you have all this unconfessed and this impurity in your life, and we think that God is going to accept that because we're allowing these things to fester. And some might say, well, will none of us are perfect. The Bible says that Jesus was the only one that was perfect. That is true. But it also talks about and tells us that for every temptation that we struggle with, that Jesus has struggled with it, overcame it, and that for every temptation that we have, that God provides a way out, that we have to look for it so that we can avoid it. It's not that we sin, it's that we struggle with sin, but it's through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and the working of Holy Spirit in our life that brings that unconfessed sin to our knowledge. Then we're able to deal with it with the Lord in our relationship with him, and we are able to say, God, forgive me for not spending enough time with you this week and spending more time watching all the replays on ESPN on the, on the ESPN app. Or Lord, please forgive me of all the times that I have uh, just rushed and got to the office during the day and haven't spent my time with you either at lunch hour or, or whatever else to be able to have my personal devotion time every day. Uh, it's the struggle that we have with sin, not that we sin, but that we struggle with it and allow the Lord to be able to help us deal with those things. Okay, there's a difference between those two things. If we are struggling with it, if we are allowing the Lord to speak into our lives, and as we are dealing with it, we're asking for forgiveness, asking for help, asking for him to be able to help us make us more holy and make us more like Christ, that then is acceptable worship to the Lord. Because why? Because we're allowing the blood of Jesus to be able to continue to go and through us. But when we allow sin to get, as, as Caleb and others say, rooted into our lives, and planted, and it begins to grow and fester and becomes this weedy mess, that's what the Lord has a problem with is us as Christians because we're allowing that sin to control us when we're supposed to allow the Holy Spirit to control us. We have to be very careful in that. So what happens when there is unconfessed sin as we're trying to live our lives in worship? And remember, the way that we live our lives is not in worship just by coming on Sunday. You being here right now is an act of worship. You going to the office this morning and working at your office is an act of worship. Why? Well, what is worship? Is showing that what you give worth to an assignment to. Pastor preached uh, several months ago about what it means to be able to use our work as worship, of how to be able to work and do things in the office as we do our work to be able to earn the living that the Lord has provided for us through the jobs that he's provided us and how to be able to use that as a way to glorify him. Great study. It's also on Right Now Media. If you want to look at it, look at it on uh, Right Now Media. It's called Work as Worship. It's a great little study that's there as well to build a, a Bible study on how to be able to live your life as a uh, as a life of worship even in the office. Well, here's what happens when God says that our words and our actions aren't lining up. He says there, there are three things. In verse 21, uh, he talks about how he hates your feasts. Take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Well, what does that mean? Well, God hates it when we have unconfessed sin and we all come together to be able to have our solemn meetings. What are our solemn meetings? 
this Bible study can be a solemn meeting. A solemn meeting can be when you have uh, a time of devotion with the Lord. It can be worship on Sunday. It can be Wednesday night worship. It can be a, ca- uh, a camp, a retreat. It can be any of these things. When we allow, when we allow sin to come into our lives and that sin to stay unconfessed, the Lord cannot accept our worship and he hates our meanings. The Hebrew word for hate there is a word that's called sane. It's the same word that's used back in verse 15 when God tells Israel to hate evil. It's a strong, strong word there to hate evil. And at the same way, God is telling them, the way that I'm telling you to be able to hate evil, I hate your worship and hate what you're doing when you have unconfessed sin in your life. And Israel is allowed this Baal worship. They've allowed also this terrible social injustice to be able to happen at this time of the people who are uh, rich uh, get richer at the expense of those who are poor. Well, what was happening in that time, Will? Well, what was happening is that the kingdom and the kings were heavily, 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 heavily taxing the people. If you remember all the building projects and things that Solomon was going through and all these great things that were happening, the people were under a tremendous burden. And the rich were getting richer and richer and richer because they were basically taking the penny from all the paupers that were there to be able to fill everything up in their, in their rich thing. And so that doesn't sound like what the Lord told Moses and told the people to be able to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Would loving your neighbor as yourself mean taking everything from someone who, hasn't, who doesn't have anything to begin with so that you can be and have more and that so you can have more power at their expense? That's not loving your neighbor. That was common practice in this day in Israel. They weren't showing kind and love to their neighbors. And so the Lord says these acts of worship are evil in his sight, and he hates it. It also says in verse 22, he rejects their offerings, and he rejects our offerings. What happens when there's unconfessed sin in worship? God hates our meetings. He also rejects our offerings. In verse 22, we see that God has rejected the offerings of Israel, even though they have brought God the choice or the best offerings. Because what does the Bible tell us? Remember what he told uh, uh, Samuel. God doesn't look on the outer appearances. God looks at the heart. Remember that's how David was chosen as king? Because when all the sons were of Jesse were, you know, were lined up, Nathan was going, oh, God, surely this is the one. You know, he's big, tall, strong. Nope, that's not it. And Nathan kept going, and Samuel kept going down until he got this little scrawny guy, which is David. The Lord told Samuel, that's the one. Totally against everything that was happening in ancient times of choosing kings that were the biggest, the strongest, you know, might is right kind of a thing. But God was looking at David's heart. And what does the Bible tell us about David? He had a heart for the Lord. And that was the kind of person that the Lord could use. So even though the people were bringing their best of what they were supposed to do, God saw their heart and knew that their heart was full of evil, full of unconfessed sin. We also see in verse 23 that God ignores their praise, and God ignores our praise. 
So what happens when there's unconfessed sin in our lives and we come to worship? God hates our meetings, he rejects our offerings, and he ignores our praise. In verse 23, we see that God rejected the music of Israel, not because they haven't rehearsed well enough, or they don't have enough accomplished musicians or professional musicians. Even though all these things are good, it's good to be a good musician and be good at your craft, but he rejected it because of unconfessed sin. Why? Because God was looking at the heart not at what man sees on the outside. That's why God rejected it. One of the things that I learned early on in my marriage is uh, watch what I say at parties and social gatherings when I'm around my wife. One of the easiest jokes that I learned to do um, when I was in my first five years of marriage with my, around my friends who weren't married were to make jokes about what it's like being married. Because you go through all this really funny stuff, you know, when you're, when you're first married and things. I mean, those of you uh, have to remember back, you know, a long ways. But, you know, just doing things of like what it mean to be able to figure out what kind of toothbrush you're going to use because you want to share the same, you know, tube of toothpaste. I wanted to have my own tube of toothpaste, but no, I found out that it was very important for us to share a tube of toothpaste. Well, I, what I would do is I would go to parties and things like that, and I would say things about how, you're not going to believe this, but when I got married to Janelle, she makes me use a shared thing of toothpaste. Oh, that's so funny, you know. You know, you're having to use this, this shared thing of toothpaste. And then you would hear other guys would start who were, who were um, uh, first married, and they would say, yeah, my wife was, you know, doing good and everything, you know, for the first five or six years of marriage. But now, let me tell you, you know, I haven't seen. There's nothing that Tyson has put out that has any thighs that are more plumper than what I'm married to. You know what I'm saying? You know how guys act and what they say around some of these things when they're around, uh, especially those that are first married and they're not sure about all these things, about what they're saying and about making fun of their wives or their relationships and stuff in public. Well, let me just tell you, when she found out that I was telling people about how when we were first married that I felt like I was an idol sometimes, because I was presented with burnt offerings at mealtime. And when we would go out to eat, I did not, I was, I was 24 when I got married. And yeah, yes. So I would say things like that, and I would also say things like uh, uh, that, she, that she's making me less of a man because we're having to share meals when we go out to eat, you know, share and eat off of one plate. And um, for those of you who don't know my wife, she's Italian, okay, half Italian. Uh, that means she has that Latin blood in her. It's that same kind of blood that goes through those of, um, uh, of uh, Latin America, Mexican, Spanish heritage. They can be quite fiery. And I got lit into I got lit into and I remember this because I was a, a young youth pastor in Tulsa Oklahoma when this happened but what happened was 
is I had to really sit down and listen to her because I did love my wife, but I didn't realize about how my lip service and the actions that I was having at, at this party when I say that I would love her and then I would go to a party and when I'd be around my friends or whatever and I would talk that way, that that was not lining up with what I was telling her. It was a gut check for me early on in my marriage. But what I learned, I learned the importance of that because she started checking up on me from there on. and She wouldn't stray very far from me. She would always be within ear reach. I didn't know this until later. Okay, I, I mean, I'm 24. I don't know these things about, you know, what wives do and how they, you know, uh, you know uh, listen to us and things. But what, as I began to do, as I began to, to lift her up among my friends, among people, and stop, you know, with the, with the newly married jokes and started focusing on about how much I was in love with my wife, which was true, about how much I enjoyed getting to, uh, getting to know her better and living with her and spending time with her and to be able to share life together and tackle these problems and these things together to pray together, to study the Bible together, to do these things together, what I found that is that when I told my wife I loved her, it now meant something more than just my lip service because now my actions showed that. And then life became a whole lot better for me at home as well. So men... That's something for us to know and to remember about our words and our actions lining up. And I'll close with this. Verse 24 says, But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness, like an ever-flowing stream. This verse has been interpreted many, many times, and to first glance, it is and does have added as a very strong verse of judgment. But actually, it's also a verse of instruction. Well, why do you say that? Well, think about it. Justice and righteousness was absent in the life of Israel at this time that Amos was speaking to. So therefore, he was calling on them, and God was using Amos to be able to tell the people, allow justice and allow righteousness to prevail in your lives now so that God didn't have to bring it later on when you don't want it to happen in the form of judgment. And he illustrates this by an ever-flowing stream. These streams were a great illustration because in Israel, in the land today, they have these things called wadis. And what a wadi is, it's a, it's a stream or a thing that pops up when the winter rains and things like that come. There's not a whole lot of ever-flowing streams and things like this in, in that land uh, even today. And so when Amos used this illustration with the people of an ever-flowing stream that immediately brought in that word picture to them because what was the one of the things in an agrarian society that was some of the biggest needs that they have? The need for water, okay? And that, that's why they would do cisterns and all this other stuff that you would read about in ancient uh, times in these areas that were that were arid and, and how they would do things with water and irrigation and the Romans with the aqueducts and all this other kind of stuff because water was such a precious resource because without water, you would literally, 
even more so back then, died. They didn't have public works or, or, or things like that. The Romans and others, you know, began to bring that around in that time. But people were dependent upon sources of water. And when Amos said, like an ever-flowing stream, that meant never allow that to not have a place in your life. Justice and righteousness. It should always prevail in our dealings and relationships with people that we come into contact with and with ourselves personally. This is how we worship, and this is how our worship should go unhindered. Because what does it come down to? It comes down to loving God and loving others. Loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Loving our neighbor as ourself. Amos' judgment on the people of Israel is something that is very, very applicable to us today. As we go away from here today, men, allow the words of Amos and allow the Holy Spirit to do surgery in your heart, in your life. You ask, God, is there any unconfessed sin in my life right now? Do I need to confess something to you? Do I need to get my relationship, my fellowship with you right? And then, Lord, help me as I go about my day-to-day to allow me to be able to treat others and love others the way that I love myself, to think of others more highly than I do myself. As you love God and love others, and as you do justice, what that does is that allows you to be able to have your words and your actions come into contact with one another, be interwoven, to when somebody sees you, they see the difference in you and not the hypocrite in you. When people see you at work or when people see you at church or in a Bible study, they see the same person. That's who we're supposed to be as Christians, men. That's how we allow the Lord to truly be able to do a great work in our life because when those two things are intertwined, Our relationship with the Lord will be sweet and he will be able to do a great work in and through us to where you will stand back and say, great is the Lord and how amazing it is for him knowing of my sin that he would reach out from heaven to me and say, I want to use you today. The God of heaven and earth who created everything is concerned about you, concerned about me. He wants to use you in your work, in your home, to be able to point other people to Christ. Make sure your sin stays confessed. Make sure your worship stays pure and holy so that you can lead your families, so that you can lead others and have a ministry at work, at home, wherever you go, that is consistent. Lord, we thank you for this word from Amos. We thank you for how you encourage us, and this is a great reminder as we live in our culture today. Father, help us, as it says in Matthew 5, to be a city on a hill. Father, we don't want to hide our light with a bushel. But, Father, help us to be able to keep our sin confessed, to rely upon the grace and mercy of Jesus in our life. Father, we do claim in 1 John and know that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Father, help us today to have our words and actions line up and allow us to be able to be used by you in a manner that is consistent so that we are not the people that Brennan Manning speaks about to where people who are non-Christians see us, they see a difference in us. 
and they come to us and you draw them to us and people say, what is it that's different about you? And Father, when you give these men opportunity to be able to respond to that, I pray you give them boldness. I pray you give them words. I give you, pray you give them love and compassion to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ to that person and to let them know that today is the day of salvation. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen.